The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Shake the turkey off. Let's get in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to be looking at that. Uh, throughout Scripture, the Christian life is pictured as growing, growing up. We begin as infants, and uh, then uh, we grow up in Christ, reaching adulthood, of maximum maturity. Uh, we all want to grow up, right? Well, at least we want to grow up until we get our driver's license, and then we want to quit. Um, perhaps you've heard... Age is inevitable, maturity is optional, but we don't want that. We want to become mature, especially in Christ. And so uh, um, one would think when it comes to maturity that I might have um, real insight into this topic, you know, but um, uh, maturity isn't always what we think it is. And so uh, sometimes we, uh, we uh, think that maturity is perhaps influence. Like uh, the ability to communicate a vision and, and leadership, and that's maturity. And so, uh, you know, as a person grows up, they get more and more influence. And, and uh, as, I, as I grow up, um, I just can't wait until I can make my own decisions. And we think of that, and it's influence. And uh, Paul puts it this way. He's talking about spiritual influence, actually. And he goes, if I could speak with the tongues of men and of angels. Okay, Wow. It's like the, the gift of gab maybe here, right? Uh, only real spiritual influence. If I could just communicate with the tongues of men and angels. You don't want to go too far, by the way, with that. I remember Herod, and he was giving a speech, and it was like, it must have been fantastic. And everybody was going, the voice of a God, the voice of a God. And, and he didn't give glory to God, and God smote him. So be careful, don't go too far. But the tongues of men and angels, now that would be good. That would be cool. If I could just like, if I could just communicate to you the incredible greatness of God's will, wouldn't that be like, okay, that would be maturity, right? And yet Paul says, if I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, but do not have, what? Love. Uh, it's going nowhere. You go, no, 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 that can't be right. Like this is talking about real communication and like you really get it. I give you God's word and you really get it. And yeah, Paul says, that's not, that's not, that's not maturity. Because love is the ultimate expression of maturity. Throughout scripture, we're told that uh, the, the ultimate in maturity is we grow up in Christ. The ultimate expression of that is love. As a matter of fact, Paul says in 1 Timothy uh, one five, the goal of his writing is love that issues from a pure heart. And so uh, love is the ultimate. John says, John says, it's by our love they'll know that you're my disciples. Love is the ultimate expression of maturity. And so Paul says, though you, although you're a great communicator without love, that's not maturity. You go, okay, well, how about this then? Uh, accomplishment. Accomplishment. And so he says, uh, if, uh, 
If I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains. Okay, now, we're all about applicational knowledge here, right? We don't want to know just to know. We want to apply it. And so we talk about God's word and we have the applicational preaching of God's word. We always tell you, okay, this is what it means to your life. And then we go to our small groups and we talk about how can we live this out together? How can I encourage you to do this? How can we do this better? We're all about the applicational knowledge of God's word. And this is applicational knowledge. He says, I understand all mysteries. Like there's nothing hidden. I got it all. And sometimes you read the Bible and you go like, what does that mean? I don't even understand that. No, no, no. I got the answer to that. And I understand all knowledge and I can apply it. I have all faith so that I can move mountains. Whoa, like that's pretty powerful. But Paul says, if I can do all those things, but do not have love, love uh, that's worth nothing. That's worth nothing. So, okay, well, uh, how about uh, maturity is sacrifice? Okay, that's the ultimate, right? If I give everything away, if I give it all away, you say, well, I don't have very much. <laughs> you probably have way more than you realize. If you can't put it in the trunk of a Mustang and move it, then you've got a lot of stuff. I used to live there. I can move my whole, everything I own in the trunk of a Mustang. They're not very big, you know. Um, I still had more stuff than most people in the world. Do you realize that? If I gave it all away, if I have a lot of stuff, and I gave it all away. Isn't that sacrificial? How about this? That's not far enough. How about if I give my body to be burned? I give my life. You got nothing else, right? Okay, that's the ultimate in maturity. Giving yourself. And yet Paul says, if I do all that and do not have love. Well, so maturity is the indispensable element and mark of maturity. John said, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. This is a powerful statement. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, we're in 1 Corinthians 13. When Paul wrote to this church, he was writing to them to address their immaturity. In chapter 3, verse 1, he says, I can't write to you like adults. I can't talk to you like you're growing up. You're in the flesh. You're infants. You're believers, but you're, you're just so immature. And so he's writing. Everything he writes in this book is to correct their immaturity and their juvenile behavior. He, Paul's saying, look, would you guys just grow up? Any parents ever say that to their kids? Look, would you just grow up? I'm working on it, Dad. I turned four yesterday. <laughs> We're working on it. It's really bad when you're an adult and somebody says, look, would you just grow up? Whoa. But that's what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. Look, you guys just need to grow up. You need to grow up in this area. You're, you're, uh, you're all about who you're following and who baptized you. And these are spiritual things, and yet they're so juvenile about them. And how they even took the Lord's table. He says, I got to correct you about that. And then he gets into their spiritual gifts. And here, we think this, okay, you want maturity. Here are a bunch of people, and they have every spiritual gift you can imagine. And they were exercising them. But do you realize you can take something spiritual and exercise it in the flesh? And in a childish way. And here are this, 
this body of believers just like this one here. I want to be really careful how I say this. Just like this one here with lots of gifts and they're being expressed and yet we can do it in such a juvenile manner. Well, I got a better gift than you. Let's stop that. Let's grow up. And so that's why Paul's writing. And so interestingly enough, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is just a pinnacle of writing, uh, whether in the secular realm or, or the religious realm, it's recognized as just an incredible expression. It's wet, read at weddings. It's, it's just looked to as such a great thing. And the whole purpose of it is to say, hey, look, you guys are acting in an immature fashion. You need to grow up. And this is what it looks like. So let's uh, read it here. Wait a minute. Before we do that, we're going to read it. But uh, just before we do that, it says, hey, the indispensable, the indispensable mark of maturity is love. But what exactly is that? Let's just stop for a moment and define the word love because we have, words have various uh, areas of meaning and um, we use love and it covers a, a wide variety of meanings, right? It's like the word snow, like snow is just snow, but man, there's a lot of different kinds of snow. And so love is a word like that. And so let's just think about it. Um, now, in the Greek, they had different words for love, and, uh, and every one of these words had uh, kind of a, uh, an area of meaning, and they, there was overlap and all that, but let's just think through it for a minute. So, a storge is a love based in natural affection. It's uh, like fa family, uh, a love for a mom for her child, or um, just a, a, a brother for his brother, just, it's natural affection, it's uh, along natural lines, uh, phileo. Uh, word Philadelphia comes from that, the city of brotherly love. It's a, a friendship based in affinity or a pleasure of association. It's just like, hey, we like being together. We like the same stuff. We like zip lining together or jumping out of airplanes together or maybe not so that much that, just sitting on a couch together. That's better, okay. Um, it's just things we enjoy and so we like each other. We like hanging out because we like the same things. And um, Now, Eros is a passionate love expressed in blind impulse. Uh, intrinsically, it's not a base word. There's really no problem with this word. However, it's not used in the New Testament at all, um, probably due to the fact that it was used about romantic love. And in the culture of that day, uh, that kind of love was so debased. And I would just hazard a guess that our culture is a lot of the same way. And so uh, if Paul was writing today, he probably wouldn't use this word uh, in our culture either because of what it means. Let's uh, think about that for a moment because I think that most of the time when we use the word love, it's really kind of uh, carrying a, a boatload of, of, uh, of meaning that's tied to this same thing. So let's just think about it for a moment. And this is not, by the way, the love that 1 Corinthians 13 describes, but we better understand it because most of the time when we talk about the word love, this is kind of the, the ideas that go with it. So um, let's explain it this way. In a TED Talk, anthropologist Helen Fisher describes 
some of the characteristics of what we call romantic love. Here's what happens. Another person takes on special meaning and we develop intense energy, intense craving, and even obsession. She describes it this way. The motor of the brain cranks up and one becomes consumed. Now, this process is not emotion. It's not even a range of emotions. She says it's a drive. It's a deep inner drive expressed in a a system of thinking. It's a separate one from the sex drive. We've heard of that. It's also a brain system. Uh, It's separate from the emotional attachment system. All three of these are really kind of connected and work together in our relationships. And so we're attracted to someone and and, uh, the sex drive's involved in that, but really uh, it's, it's a desire for attachment. And it's more than just emotion. They all work together and yet... Um, they're separate. The shallowest of those is probably the sex drive. The most infrequent is probably this romantic drive, this, this uh, obsession, this, uh, I'm just like, we would call it infatuation. It's not like we uh, are infatuated all the time. It comes and it goes. It's once in a while. For some people, it's once in a lifetime. Um, listen, the deepest and most consistent of these drives is the drive for attachment. And that's what we all long for. I was talking to a girl once and uh, she was struggling with attachment. She had a terrible relationship with her father and uh, she hated men and that included me. And so we were talking and, uh, and she pulled out the big card, right? Oh, we all know what men want. Go to the sex drive thing. We all know what men want. I said, you know what? You're right. Men want exactly the same thing that women want. She said, what do you mean by that? We want a deep level of attachment. And I said, men settle for so much less, so much more quickly. Women hold out longer, but they settle for less too. Isn't that sad? Is that not describing the world that we live in? A longing, a deep desire for an attachment, and we settle for these other drives that are so much less. That's really what we're talking about when we say love. But that's not what Paul's talking about. Agape love is what Paul's talking about. It's a a different word. It's uh, used throughout the New Testament. And really, the New Testament writers invested this word, which was not used much in in that day. And they invested it with a lot of uh, spiritual meaning. And so agape love is supposedly something every Christian is familiar with. It's what's described in this chapter. It's a love that has its basis in preciousness. A love called out of one's heart by an awakened sense of value in the object loved that causes one to prize it. So essentially, this love is valuing someone or something. Interesting. Think this through carefully. This love is less about defining the object that is loved and much more about defining the lover. Whereas eros calls desire out of my heart, in agape, my heart chooses to place value on something. And so because I choose to place value on something, that defines me much more than these other things. And so agape love defines 
me. Here's an example of that. Uh, God. God is love, and because he is love, he sets his affection on us, not because we are lovable. As a matter of fact, Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is love. His love defines him And his love is defined by the fact that when we were unlovely, he set his love on us and chose us and considered us to be valuable and precious. Not in and of ourselves. Isn't that so different than the way we love? We we only love things that we appreciate, that, that that, that have value, we think, in and of themselves. But to choose to place value on someone because we are like that, that's when we're becoming like God. And that is something that we do. 1 John 4, 10 and 11 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. We love, verse 19 says of 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us. Because God loved us, and we have experienced that kind of love, we can now choose to set our love on someone else. Not because they deserve it, but because we are that kind of a person. This is the concept that we're trying to get. Uh, listen, just before we move off of this and actually read the passage, because <laughs> we are getting to it. This is not introduction, by the way. This was the first point. This is the first point. Recognizing the indispensable um, The indispensable is love. Listen, what we set our affection on defines us. Think of this verse, 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. The word that's used is agape. Do not set your affection on the things of the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Listen, what I set my affections on defines me. Do not love the world. Do not set your affection on the world or the things in the world because that's defining you. Rather, set your affections on God because that defines you. So the question that's in front of us today as we look into this passage is, what is defining me? Who am I? Am I like God in, in love or am I setting my affections? What is being revealed about my heart in where I set my affections? That's the question. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. I'm growing in maturity when I recognize the indispensable. I need to be loving. In my influence, in my accomplishments, in my giving, I must have agape love motivating and energizing me. A love that defines me by what I choose to value. What might that look like? 
Well, it looks like this. Love, this is a beautiful passage, isn't it? You can pretend you're at a wedding right now. Just picture the bride, long white dress. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I'm growing in maturity when I recognize the indispensable. I'm also growing in maturity when I realize the incredible. And what we mean by that is we've got an incredible description of love. Um, I want to realize it. I want to uh, make it real in my life. We were just singing that song and uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring uh, something that is truly heavenly, truly characteristic of God and bring it into our practical experience. And so um, it's always a challenge uh, to preach a list like this. Uh, what do you do with it? Uh, well, you can just kind of bypass it. Um, you should go home and study these on your own. Uh, who's actually going to do that? Three or four of you. <laughs> there are a few of you that will do that. Um, we're busy people. We, we may not do that. You could um, stretch this into a, 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 a 16-week series and take each of those as a topic for one of those. Patience and kindness. And, um, uh, we're, we don't, we're not going to do that. Um, what do we actually do with them? Um, well, uh, we're going to go through them. We're actually going to look at each of these characteristics very, very quickly. This is just a summary. And uh, as we do that, we're going to make like maybe one application of what that would look like in life. And so as we're going through this, I don't want you to like write furiously and write down everything. We're going to put them on our website later this week. So you can access them. Uh, this is a good reason to follow us on Twitter or Facebook so that you can get notices like this and say, hey, it's up on the, on the website. You can check out this week's message. You can check out the resources that we gave you. And so that's a good thing uh, to do. And so it's all going to be there. What I want you to do as we go through them is just think about it. Maybe pick out one or two of these characteristics and say, yeah, yeah, that's not very characteristic of me. And maybe think about one or two of the applications. Say, yeah, I could probably go home and do that this afternoon. So that's what I want you to think about as we go through these. So we're, they're kind of a, there's 16 specific um, characteristics, eight positive and eight negative. Uh, some of them are kind of contrasted and balanced. So some of them go over the same kinds of things. This is the nuts and bolts of loving. Like, how, do I, how do I know if I'm becoming mature? Well, um, you know, physically, we know if you're getting taller, you got that doorpost thing going, and you're marking them. And I used to be here when I was four, 
And now I'm here when I'm five, and I, like just growing, and uh, you keep marking it, and when you move, you have to rip the door frame off and take it with you, right? That's always great. So we know that. We know that I'm becoming more mature when, when I understand more concepts, when I can, when I can link uh, um, the, the uh, symbolism, when I understand symbolism, I've reached a different age group characteristic, right? We have these age group characters that we kind of understand that as we mature, we're getting uh, older. And it, like hair color, you, for guys, it's kind of obvious. Don't ever think about that with ladies. It just doesn't work. So there's these characteristics. So, so as I'm growing, if I'm growing uh, spiritually, how will I know? Well, you'll be growing in these Areas. So let's just uh, quickly go through these. Um, first one is patient. It means to bear up under provocation without complaint, to be patient or forbearing. Um, it's not that one person said, it's not that loving people are inefficient, but that they have their priorities straight. Impatience is often a mark of, I have an agenda. I got to get this thing done, Right? And uh, it can also often be uh, pretty selfish. I got to get this done and I don't care who gets in my way. <laughs> I'm going to run right over you. And so patience, love is patience. Um, impatience often leads to complaining. So uh, here's a good thing. Love is patient. How do I know if I'm growing in patience? Um, how are you doing with complaining? If you complain a lot, um, perhaps you're not patient. So love is patient. It endures. It, it, it puts up with things. It doesn't make its agenda the, the big thing. Uh, how about this? Kind. Love is kind. Other-centered. Considerate of others. A kind person is quick to help when he or she senses a need. Mark DeHaan of Radio Bible Class said, most of the hurt in this world is done by people who could have done better. A little kindness goes a long way. So, um, here's, a, here's a good challenge. Find somebody. Find a need to meet. Find somebody you can be kind to. Just stop and show a little kindness. That'll go a long ways. Uh, here's an important one. It rejoices with the truth. This is a, we think, oh, these are so simple. These are so simple. Uh, rejoicing with the truth has a, a, a whole depth of meaning to it. What does it mean to rejoice with the truth? We think, well, we're glad when the truth comes out. I'm really happy when, uh, um, when somebody's been saying something about me and it's not true, and uh, somebody else comes along and proves they're wrong, and I'm really happy when the truth comes out. I rejoice in the truth. Yeah, that, most of us are living there. How about the other side of that? We call it repentance. I'm happy. I rejoice in the truth when it proves that I'm wrong and I repent of my wrongness. Do I rejoice in the truth then? We should be glad for truth and when it convicts us, um, we should rejoice in that because that's better for us. We kind of know that. Um, here's, here's a... Here's just, I just want to be honest with you. Here's a practical way that I apply this. I rejoice in the truth. So there are, there are a number of unsolved murders in our area. I rejoice in the truth by praying that God will bring those things to light and that the 
perpetrators would be brought to justice. Is that rejoicing in the truth? I think it is because I think that's a blight on our area here. Sin is a reproach to any people. And so uh, righteousness exalts a nation. And uh, our government is tasked with, with rewarding the good and punishing the evil. And so I think rejoicing in the truth is part of that. And so does that have application to my political leanings? I think it does. And so that's just a, a kind of a practical thing that I, I do. I pray about those things. I pray that those things, and, and uh, certainly not because of my prayers, but uh, some of those things are being found out. And that can happen on, on an ongoing basis with things. We rejoice in truth, and we ought to. So uh, it bears all things. This has the idea of protection, the sense of covering or enclosing in such a way as to keep something undesirable uh, from coming in. Um, here's a practical challenge with that. Then find someone vulnerable for whom you can do something to protect them. How can you bring protection? This, this is true of our families. How can I protect my family? Um, uh, love bears all things or literally protects um, have, have you thought about uh, protecting your family? What are you allowing to come into your home? You know, there's so many avenues into our homes. One of the biggest one is technology. Um, are you protecting your home? So um, uh, my son, who's the, the director of youth here, uh, tweeted just a little while ago about a, a, a thing called the circle that you can put on your uh, hook into your, your, uh, your internet. And uh, it... it protects all of the devices. You can program it so that your children are protected in certain ways. And it, all, all that goes across all their devices. And you go like, like, hey, that's pretty cool. That's a cool use of technology. Why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you do something like that? Why wouldn't you be invested and interested in what's coming into your home and into your, uh, the minds and hearts of your children? Why would you not be interested in that? Uh, because love protects. So that's very practical ways of... Uh, bringing protection. How about this? Love uh, believes all things. Now, that doesn't mean that love is uh, naive, um, but it's uh, considers something to be true and therefore worthy of one's trust. It believes the best about a person. Love is faithful to people. Love is essentially optimistic and looks uh, for the best. So here's a, a good challenge. Uh, rejects something negative said about something else. Just say, hey, hey, I don't want to hear that. That's a good application of that. It hopes all things. It looks forward to something. It's a, it has a, the implication that you have confidence about something coming to pass. It, it hopes. Here's a good application of that. Renew your commitment to pray for the salvation of somebody you care about. Even though it looks like, so, like they're so hardened. They're just so like... Um, they don't even want to talk about it. And, and every chance they get, they just like denigrate our faith. Like uh, renew your commitment to pray for that person in hope. It endures all things. Maintains a belief or course of action in the face of opposition. Um, even though you're getting opposition, uh, choose to take another step towards um, that goal. It uh, never ends. It literally never falls does not become inadequate, doesn't fail or weaken. Again, just renew your commitment to, uh, to someone. 
Well, that's what love is. Those are the positive ones. We didn't go in order of the text. Uh, Here's the negative ones. Uh, Love is not. Why does God have to tell us what love is not? Because we're so good at not loving. And so this is where we live, right? And so uh, here are some things that love is not. We need to move through this uh, quickly here. But love is not envious. To have intense negative feelings over another's achievements or success. To be filled with jealousy or envy towards someone. Uh, here's, Here's the challenge. Congratulate somebody opposed to you on their success. Just write them a note. Hey, congratulations, that was great. That's hard to do, isn't it? Uh, boastful, love is not boastful. Demanding and propagating our own self-image. We are so good at this. <laughs> do you know how good I am? I'm, there's, <laughs> never mind, I can't tell you that little story. Um, my wife and I were boasting about how good we were. <laughs> it, says, it was the, the middle of the night. And I said, man, you're good, Roger Freeman. I said, you're good, Margaret Freeman. And uh, we're just saying, there's so much goodness in here that you think the sun would be shining. Um, we, we are really good at building ourselves up and boasting about ourselves. And um, it's often a sign, actually, of our deep insecurity when I need others to validate me with their approval. So here's, here's the test. Defer credit. Defer credit to someone else. When somebody comes and says, hey, you did that so great, just say, hey, you know what? There's a team of us here. And if it wasn't for them, it'd be like we wouldn't, we wouldn't have done as well. Defer the credit. Uh, love is not arrogant and exaggerated self-conception. This is a difficult one to uh, figure out. S- seek an honest evaluation of your abilities. Where do you go to get an honest evaluation of how you're doing? Number, I don't want it in the first place. I don't really want to know how badly I did. Um, but where do you go to get that? Um, so here's the, here's the test. Seek an objective view of yourself. And then as one person said, then half it. <laughs> Just to get an objective, realistic view of where you're really at. So uh, love is not arrogant. Love is not rude to behave disgracefully, dishonorably, or indecently. Literally means below standard. Love isn't like that. So uh, here's, the, here's the test. Is there any behavior that I would not want publicized? Would I act the same way in this room as I do sometimes in my living room? That's quite a test, isn't it? Love is not selfish. Uh, literally seeking the things of itself. Is this not the antithesis of being loving the way God is? Um, It's not seeking its own. Uh, So here, give up something you want for what someone else wants. Love is not irritable, easily angered or provoked. A state of inward arousal that can be caused by almost anything expressed with anger or shortness. Refuse to react to something that's bothering you. Just like exercise some self-control and hold it in if you can. Give up getting your own way. Love is not resentful. This is literally counting up wrongdoing. This is keeping score. Well, you did this, so I'm going to do this. Or you did that, so I'm going to do this. If, if I can get away with that, then I can get away with this. And accounting and keeping score. Uh, stop it. Um, refuse to feel sorry for yourself or get even. And then finally, love is uh, not evil, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. And this is literally being glad or rejoicing when something bad happens to a person we don't like. I would say it goes even further. It can be um, being glad 
taking joy in things that are, are, are not godly. They're just not godly. And so uh, let's not do that. Uh, so here's, here's the test. Rush to help someone you don't like when they are experiencing trouble. One person said, basically, love is everything good and nothing bad, and it lasts forever. Okay, let's recognize that that's a pretty high standard, right? Uh, can we do this? Can we do this? Uh, no, it's another impossibly high standard. So we have not arrived. Uh, it's okay to be, uh, not be okay, but it's not okay to stay there. We want to be growing in these things. And so that's a quick survey uh, with some practical applications of growing in spiritual maturity. Um, Paul says, let your progress be evident to all. Uh, we certainly don't hold ourselves to the standard, but wouldn't it be nice if, if everybody else did? Wouldn't it be like, okay, I'm not that loving, but it would be sure be easier to get along here if you were. Right? And every husband and wife say, that's why we read this at weddings. Because we, each one said, hey, we should read 1 Corinthians 13 at our wedding. Because each one is hoping that the other one gets it. And that's, yeah, that's where we live. But listen, we're not without hope. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. Romans 5 says that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. By the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. John says that the Holy Spirit will be in us a well of water springing up and overflowing to everlasting life. And so our hope is in Jesus Christ and in the, the indwelling spirit. Now listen, you can tweet this. Nowhere does my poverty of spirit and dependence on the Holy Spirit show more than in my attempts to love. We are all lousy lovers, really. But we can grow in this. So I am growing in maturity, finally, when I reflect the incomprehensible. And uh, here we have a promise. Uh, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. The perfect is coming. John says it this way, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we shall be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. This is just part of a bigger story. Our growing in maturity is just part of a bigger story that we belong to. Um, it's the story of redemption. And uh, it's such an important story. And if you're not familiar with the big story, uh, Let's just think about it for a minute. We have this book, Five Gospel Words. It's available free at the bookstore. And uh, these five gospel words, uh, so here's where we often live with these five words, death, conflict, loss, pain, and suffering. And that's because our world so lacks in love. Um, but these words will bring you life. First of all, the word God God created you and he created you to know him and he is love and uh, you, you need to know God but sin keeps you from knowing him. It's what separates you from him. 
And so uh, many uh, often tick off in, in our uh, Connect folder, interested in becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. It's sin that's, that has to be overcome before you can actually follow him. And so uh, God did something about that. He loves you so much that he uh, gave his son. So the word substitution talks about the fact that Jesus Christ died in your place. He gave his life. That's how much God loves you. Uh, he did that while you were still a sinner. And that brings us to the word believe. You have to believe that. But belief isn't just knowing it, it's acting on it. And so it's committing yourself to Jesus Christ and calling on him and asking him to forgive your sin and be your savior. And so you have to believe and then uh, God will give you life. And that's how your story can be part of the big story. And so when that which is perfect, when that which is perfect comes, uh, you'll be a part of that. That's the promise. The picture is uh, we are seeing darkly right now. Paul says, right now we see through a glass darkly. Now, uh, that's talking about looking in a mirror, but it's not the kind of mirror that you have at home. When you go home over your vanity, you look in a mirror and you can pretty well see exactly what you look like. Good or bad, that's, what, that's a real picture. But back then, they just had um, polished metal. And so they would polish it up as good as they could. And uh, when you looked in that, you probably got a better reflection in water than you did in their mirror. And so Paul says, we see in a mirror darkly. We don't see very well. And that's what it's like for us right now. What are we going to be like? What's it going to be like when, when we actually are with God and experiencing open, pure love? Um, we don't know. We can't see it fully. And so that's what it's like for us right now. That's the picture. And, uh, but here's the process. We're growing up. Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And so this is the process that we're in here. So are we perfect? Do we love this way? No. But is that the goal? Are we growing in these things? Uh, we, yes, we are. Yes, we are. And that's what God wants for us. And so that's the process. Dr. James McDonald uh, says, so when we pray, your will be done. We're declaring God. We long for it to be like it is in heaven. We want our lives to reflect the state where what you want happens on time every time. That's a prayer of submission. We're working to be a body that displays the character of God through uncommon community. So uh, let's cycle back to where Paul started. Influence and uh, action and giving. And though, I, though I can communicate with the tongues of men and angels, um, though I can influence, if I do not have love, it's, it's nothing. So maximum maturity is our goal. I am progressing when I am recognizing the indispensable need for a love that defines me as being a loving person because I choose to value others regardless of any man-made standard. I'm progressing in maturity when I realize the incredible reality of being loving as an impossible task outside of the Holy Spirit, yet something I can cooperate with him and grow in and actually see and experience. So I want to encourage you, go to our website and take a look at the summary and begin to think through how does this reflect my life. And if you want, you can pick up this book, The Love Dare, 
and perhaps you've heard of it. And it's one thing to know about the love dare. It's another thing to actually take it. And you can hold me accountable to that perhaps sometime. But um, let's begin to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and actually see and experience uh, progress in being loving. And then finally, I'm, uh, I'm progressing in maturity when I'm reflecting more and more the incomprehensible perfection that is coming as I set my story into his greater story. Have you done that? Have you received Christ as your Savior? Perhaps in this moment, this prayer reflects your heart. I'm going to pray this prayer. Bow your head and think about whether your amen goes to this prayer as our team comes. Father, when I probe this short chapter, I begin to realize quite painfully how far short I fall from your standard of love. I know you are working in me, but I have a long way to go. Thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for your own love that loved an unlovable person and had your son die on my behalf. Lord, fill me with your love and let me overflow to others. In Jesus' name I pray. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.